right. Um, we're going to jump into Romans chapter four. We're going to start in verse 14. This is what I love about doing this series because oftentimes um, some of the criticism of the message of grace is that the, the scriptures are cherry picked and that somehow this is not the main theme of the New Testament. So as we go verse by verse by verse, and the same thing keeps coming up over and over and over again in this book, and you're going to find it in many of the books over and over and over again, you're going to continue to see the same theme keeps popping up. So Pastor Dan's not cherry-picking through the Bible. I'm going verse by verse. We'll skip a couple verses within a chapter just to kind of advance the story. Otherwise, we'll be on Romans for a year. But we are we're hitting the main theme themes of every chapter, and so far the main theme of every chapter all the way through to the end of chapter four has been this message of finished work, grace, the difference between um, grace and the law, what he has accomplished, what he's already paid for, um, all of that. Um, and so it continues tonight. I'm dumbfounded because I go on to read the next couple of verses, and I'm like, here it is again, here it is again, here it is again, here it is again. Over and over and over and over again, we're seeing this theme. Why? Because it is the gospel. It's not a topic in the Bible. It is the topic. All right, it's It's it. All that we talk about and all of the fruits of, of uh, fruits of the Spirit or all of the giftings that we receive or, or and operate in, all of this flows from this revelation. If you get this revelation, you can step into those things so naturally and easily. It's not something you have to contend for. You can step into what God has called you to do as you get this revelation, as you allow this to become your thought pattern, what you believe, what you... Is that Annie? Lord, have mercy. Is that who that is? Is that your name? You. You don't, you don't know your name? Girl, how long has it been? Your name is Annie, right? Come on, give me a hug, girl. Sorry, I'm, I'm going all schizophrenic over here. Love you, honey. Good to see you. She's, you always, on Mother's Day, used to win the how many kids do you have contest. How many do you have? Nine. Good Lord, stretch your hands out towards that woman, bless her. <laughs> Nine kids. <laughs> Man, that is something. I love you. Good to see you. Um, so as, we're, as we are diving through this, as we're going through this, I want you to see, we're going to start in verse 14, but in Romans chapter 4 begins to introduce Abraham as uh, a part of the equation, and we're going to learn tonight a little bit about how Abraham was an early messenger or example of God's grace, and we, we did a little bit of that on Sunday. So let's go to verse 14 if we can. For... Praise him. See that? Dawn. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. So let's read that. For, the, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but there is no law. There also is no violation. But where there is no law, there is also no violation. I want you to see that. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. I'm going to make that more plain in a moment. Verse 16. 
For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Interesting here. I'm going to read this in the mirror. I want you just to see what, what the, the contrast that they're making here that Paul is making in these verses. It's the same thing we've been seeing over and over and over again. Faith would be emptied of its substance and the principle of promise would be meaningless if the law of personal performance was still in play to qualify the heirs. You want to see faith, the substance of faith be zero, be emptied out, and the promises of God in your life become meaningless? Try to do it on your own. Why do you need a promise from him, and why do you need faith if you can do it on your own? A lot of times people ask me, I feel like the Lord asked me to do something. Do you think it's him? I say, can you do it on your own? Is it something you can figure out on your own? Well, yeah, then it's not him. Come on, when God asks you to do something, it's probably going to require his participation, yep. right? <coughs> Come on. When God sets a promise up for you, it's going to be something so great and so grand that you are not going to be able to perform your way into that promise. The promises of God are nullified, they are rendered useless or meaningless when we try to live a performance-based life. Verse 15, this is a humdinger right here. The law system is bound to bring about disappointment, regret, and anger. If there is no law, there is nothing to break, no contract, no breach. Do you understand this here? Now, I'm going to read it to you the NASB because some of y'all are going to be like, this doesn't sound right. Let me read it to you in the NASB so you understand that what it's saying here is absolutely accurate. In the New American Standard Bible, the Scholar's Bible, it says, for the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also is no violation. If you break out the Greek, you get this. The law system is bound to bring about disappointment, regret, and anger. If there is no law, there is nothing to break, no contract, no breach. Now, I want to set this up for you. If there is no law to break, then you cannot live in the cycle of constant disappointment and anger. One of the, one of the ways you can spot a modern-day Christian right off the bat who doesn't get this is they're constantly disappointed in themselves. Why? Because they're living under the law. If there is no contract to breach, if there is no law to violate, then it's pretty tough to be disappointed where there is no law. Come on. I know this is heavy for some of you because you're like, I want something to tell me what to do. So how many of you know we like to be told what to do? Just, you ever, you ever get in, like, into it with your boss or into it with a family member or spouse, and you're just like, just tell me what you want. Anyone ever be that way? This, I, I like this jacket because it's cool and it's already vintage roughed up. And no, I did not do that at home. I bought it that way. But the pockets are too small for my hands. And so when I try to remove... <laughs> oh, no, this is not... 
That's what I have to do. So I want to just show this to you. I wore this on the plane to Nashville because I wanted to look like I was from Nashville. I had my boots on. I had tight jeans. I had my tight pants on. I had my tight pants. I had the whole thing going. I had my glasses on. When I got off the plane, I wouldn't take the glasses on, even though it was dark in the luggage area. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, but this happened. <laughs> and the, the jacket's too small for me to grab one side. So that happened in the airport. <laughs> it kind of blew my cover. They're like, he's not from Nashville. It's the first time he's wore that jacket. <laughs> I know, my life. Okay, <clears throat> back to the deal here. It's really tough to be disappointed in something that doesn't exist. And I spot, I was saying I spot, it's easy to spot a modern-day Christian because they're living in constant disappointment. They never feel like they add up. They never feel like they're doing enough. They never feel like they're reaching enough. And usually if something bad happens in their life, they blame themselves. And it's usually because they didn't do something. It's not usually, it's funny because like, you know, if you speed through an intersection and you get T-boned, it's not because you didn't pray enough. Oh no, am I stepping on someone's theology tonight? It's because you sped through an intersection. Okay? God doesn't punish you by letting you get... Are you with me tonight? God doesn't punish you by getting you in an accident. I just wonder what the Lord's trying to teach me. He's trying to teach you to not speed through intersections. Right? Come on, let's be real with each other. I know you've heard this, and I know that this silliness is a lot of what turns people away from the church because they hear somebody blame God for something they did, right? If you cheat on your taxes and the IRS sends you a letter, God is not the one sending you the letter. It's the IRS, all right? It's the devil. Pastor Dan, I need you to pray for me. What's up? There's an attack on my finances. There's what? There's an attack on my finances. What happened? I got a letter from the IRS. Well, why did you get a letter from this? Well, I didn't report $30,000 of subcontractor income. Well, that's not an attack on your finances. That's an attack on your brain. Are you with me? We... We, we have to understand it's really tough to disappoint God when all he's asking for is relationship and your heart. See, the new covenant is not about what you do. It's about what he's done. And if you will learn about what he's done and begin to allow that to change and impact your life, you will not live in constant disappointment. Some of you in this room right now feel God's not happy with you. Guess what? He is happy with you. He created you. He is joyful over you. He smiles over you every morning you wake up. All he can see in you is Christ. He sees you through the lens of his son. I've been preaching this for months and months and months. But some of us are still walking around under the idea that God somehow is mad and upset with us and disappointed. And we think he's angry. And we think all of this stuff here in verse 15. And we have regrets in our life. But what are you regretting? That you broke a law that Jesus already came and paid the price for? What are you disappointed in? The contract has already been paid for and taken care of. 
Pastor Dan, why are you preaching this? Because people are just going to run around and do what they want. No, no, that's so silly. That's so dumb. When people say that to me, I, I just want to, I want to break the law of punching them. All right? I'm like, no, it's so dumb. What, so what would you rather? Because this is how it plays out. Let's be real with each other. If you're constantly disappointed and constantly living in regrets and constantly angry with yourself and constantly feeling like you can't do anything, what are you going to do for God in that state? Really? So I'm going to go to the Dominican Republic and I'm going to be up in front of a congregation I've never been in front of and a pastor who lets me in the pulpit there and I'm going to have an interpreter right there and I'm going to sit up there and do something great for God feeling like he's mad at me. Why is he going to heal the lady in front of me? Why is he going to use me to heal the lady in front of me if he's mad at me? So what do I do? I don't pray for her. She doesn't get healed. God doesn't have an opportunity to move through his servants. And we stop the flow and the move of God here on the earth. Do you know what, what would break revival out? If we would actually believe God's not mad at us. Because we'd start actually acting the way the book of Acts was, where the spirit of God moved through people because they were convinced that what Jesus did, he actually did. Paul said, I'm the least of these. Paul said, I'm like the worst of the worst, buddy. And yet God's using me to change and to move the church forward into the next thousands of years to come. I'm setting up the dynamic and the structure of the church with my writings. And yet I believe that I'm the least of these. I wonder how many people today are still sick in their bodies or are still you know, gripped by something of the enemy or still addicted because the person God sent to them to actually deliver them and pray for them or bring a miracle and bring his practical love to them was believed that God was so mad at him that he would never use them to do that. Verse 16. Therefore, since faith sponsors the gift of grace, I love that picture, that faith sponsors the gift of grace. The promise is equally secured for all the children. Everybody say all. all. And the law has no exclusive claim on anyone because the reward system cannot match the gift principle. And faith is our source. And that makes Abraham our father. I love this picture of faith sponsoring the gift of grace. And that, that means that the promise is equally secured for all children. Why? Because if faith is what sponsors or what, or what opens the door or what promotes the gift of grace in our life, then we are all equal. Why? Because all it takes is whether or not you believe it. So you can be black, white, poor, rich, a felon, Mary Poppins. You can be anything. Come on here tonight. And if you believe your measure of faith, your belief it will sponsor the gift of God's grace in your life. Just like the guy next to you. Come on. That's awesome. It's the great equalizer. Here we're all trying to be like, you know, I'm going to be the best Christian in the church. I'm going to just do all the things. Hey, brother, how are you? God bless you. Listen to how, listen to how eloquent I speak. When I say God, I don't say God like you peasants. I say God. And I add a little wisp to spirit when I say Holy Spirit. Remember one time we had somebody preaching and they were like, you know, like, you know, just going off like that. And I was thinking, man, that sounds really great, but I'm pretty sure God can understand you if you say Holy Spirit, all right? <laughs> Holy Spirit, we need you to calm down right now. I'm like, what are you, 
you're British now? What's going on here? Right? It's not about how well you can do any of that. You know one of the things that robs my joy more than anything else is when I get in a group of people to pray and the person that maybe just got saved yesterday says, I don't know how to do this. Because they've heard how eloquent the guy that's been here for 20 years prays and they're like, I can't do that. And God's like, listen, he's been doing that for 20 years and ain't nothing happened in his life. Right? I want to hear you because you're ready and you understand it and you get it and you're hungry. And let me hear you, what you say out of your mouth. It's literally not about how cute you are, how great you are, how eloquent you are. Your measure of faith is enough to sponsor the gift of grace and receive all that grace has in it for your life. So I don't care what you've been labeled or think you are. You have the same access, the same security in the gift of grace as any other child of the king. So if you have said yes to believing in Jesus, you can take that same measure of faith and it unlocks the gift of grace in your life. And all that I've been preaching about is yours. This is good preaching, Dan. Come on. I'll encourage myself if you don't, all right? Is it the jacket? You don't think I need to be encouraged because of the jacket? You want me to do that thing with my hands again? You like that better. Verse 18, <laughs> in, hope against, in hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations. This is talking about Abraham. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. He hoped against hope. He hoped against hope. He received the promise of God that he would be the father of many nations when he couldn't even father a single child. 75 years old, he still did not conceive a child. If you actually go back in the lineage of Abraham, most of his uncles and great uncles and grandparents, they all had kids at like 35 or 40 or 30. Really? I look this up. Abraham gets to 75. <laughs> 75 years old. It sounds cruel. It sounds cruel. It's like if you're driving like a, a, like a 92 Ford Taurus with 285,000 miles on it, and it's four cylinders, but only two of them run, and your windows won't go up or down, you have no air conditioning, and that thing is blowing black smoke out the back, and you get over on 75, and the Lord comes to you in that moment, and you're broken down, and you're hot and sweaty, and he says, I'm going to make you an owner of the largest Ford dealership in all of the country. You're going to be like, can we start with something that will actually get me to work? <laughs> it seems cruel. It's like, why would you go there when the guy can't father a child, when his seed seems to not have any fruit to it? And so Abraham hopes against hope in this moment. Verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He thought about this. You know, one of the most important things that I think sometimes gets caught up in, in the craziness of Christianity sometimes is sometimes we don't, we don't actually, we, we feel like if we actually say or think about the reality of our situation that we have no faith. So, so if you've ever been around people like this, if you haven't been around people like this, you are so lucky. <laughs> but if you have, you'll understand what I'm talking about. When you say something like, don't speak that, brother. 
You're like, speak what? It's raining outside. Don't speak that, brother. I saw it. The rain's coming down. No, we're going to believe it. It's going to clear up. I said, okay, we can believe it's going to clear up. But presently, right now, it is a raining outside. <laughs> Don't confess that. I'm not confessing it. I looked, okay? It's not something I want to happen. I'm not praying for it. It's a raining, okay? Right? Anyone ever been around someone like that? If you are one, don't raise your hand, all right? <laughs> but it's, it's okay to look at the situation like Abraham and say, hey, listen, like, do you know what's happening here with Abraham? I'm getting ready to flip this on you folks. You know what's getting ready to happen? Abraham is living in a pre-New Covenant era. He's living in a pre-New Covenant era. So he doesn't even... He, 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 he hasn't received what Jesus has done. This is way before that. And yet, listen to me, yet, he's actually getting ready to pattern for us what the new covenant looks like. Why? Because he takes an account of his own body and his own ability to perform the promise and realizes it's impossible for his, himself to perform the promise. Come on. Do you hear me? He realizes that based on Sarah's womb, and I don't want to get too anatomical around here, but whatever I got going on at 75 years old, this ain't happening, Captain. All right? We're sleeping in separate bedrooms. She thinks I smell funny. It's not going to happen, all right? And he looks at it and he says, listen, I, I, I've looked and taken account of my own body. I know the condition and what's going on with Sarah's womb. Verse 20, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. See, faith is the great equalizer. Here is Abraham. You, 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 he, he has the greatest promise anyone could ever get. You're going to be the father of many nations. And he looks at himself and he looks at Sarah and he realizes, I am not going to be able to perform this. So the only other option he has is faith, which sponsors the gift of grace in his life. He reached forward into a post-cross uh, death burial and resurrection era and pulled it back in time prophetically to his moment to believe that God was going to allow him to do something beyond his own ability. Come on, that's unbelievable. Why? Because we have the benefit of knowing that Jesus has done it and finished it on the cross. So what in the heck are you waiting for? If God's given you a promise, why would you sit there and believe that it's based on your performance when Abraham himself looked at his body and looked at Sarah and said, I understand, but I'm going to hope against hope. And with respect to the promise of God, I will not waver. I will not allow unbelief in my life. And faith, believing in the promise of God and the gift of grace that is available to you and I is the great equalizer. I'm preaching this to a church, come on, of people that are up here and down here and sideways. It is the great equalizer. I, I know you think I'm crazy, but if this is a church in Lakewood Ranch full of executives, or this is a church where half of us have been in jail in the last five years, I won't tell you which one it is. It doesn't matter. I'm just crazy enough to believe that this ragtag group of folks around here, if they have enough 
come on, enough, a moment in time where they say, I believe that Jesus paid enough on the cross for me to live in grace and the power that comes with it. I believe that we can change the world. Why not see the promises of God come to pass? Why not see us become fathers to nations? It just takes believing. Because faith is the great equalizer. It's all it takes. It's not the ability. It's not the performance of your body or your mind or, or whatever else. It's not God counting up in heaven and going, I think we've, we've got one climb in the charts. So I may be able to finally use one of those guys down there. He's just waiting for someone to say, I believe that what you've said you've done, you've done for my life, and I am ready. I am not perfect. I will not always get it right, but I am available, and I am ready. And in faith, I will step out and say yes to you, God, whether you're going to the supermarket or the Dominican Republic, or you're going uh, to Walmart, or you're going to work, or you're going to school, all it takes is for you to say, God, today I'm available, and I believe that you have selected me and called me, even in my imperfection. You're not asking for what I can do, but you're asking, do you believe? You know, we have a softball team, and if you suck, we get rid of you quickly. God doesn't work that way. Come on, you get up to bat and strike out a couple times. We talk about you in the dugout. A dugout. I, and I haven't been there for a while, but when I was there, it was harsh. <laughs> and I was the harshest one. We had a couple girls that were on the team because we needed girls. And God bless some of you girls, but some of you girls cannot hit. <laughs> I mean, there was one particular girl that, and she's not here tonight anywhere in the building, so I'm not talking bad about her. And hopefully she's going to another church by now because she was terrible and I didn't want her here, okay? <laughs> And that ball would go past her, and the ump would call strike, and then she would swing. I was like, he already called strike. It don't matter if you swing now, right? Aren't you glad that God doesn't work that way, that you can strike out every time, and Pat and Dan are not in the dugout going, we've got to get someone else here, okay? God is not up there talking to uh, St. Peter or leaning over to his son and saying, did you see that down there? He prayed for that lady in a wheelchair, and the lady got sicker. Well, so let's not ask him to do it anymore. He's just looking for somebody who has enough faith to say yes. Did you get your baptism certificate? Yes, finally. All right. Yep. He's just looking for somebody to say yes. He's looking for somebody to believe. And guess what? It doesn't matter how low you are or how, how I won't say how high you are. <laughs> That'll get you in trouble, this church. How up here you are. It doesn't matter where you are in your life, in your journey, how good you've been, how bad you've been. He's waiting for you to say, oh, I believe. I believe that Jesus has made me righteous. I believe that I'm holy and called and justified because of his son. I believe it. Honey, you need to hear me tonight. This message is for you tonight. You need to believe it. I'm going to pray over you right now. Father, we just thank you that the promise of God over her life is yea and amen. We thank you there's nothing she can do to outrun it, outlive it, outwalk it. There's nothing she can do to cancel it. Tonight, you've called her and selected her just like the day she was born. She hasn't forfeited a single promise. We thank you right now that the promises over her life are still waiting for her to believe that she has been justified and sanctified and she is righteous before you. So God, we thank you that in this moment, you're breaking off 
off shame. You're breaking off worry. You're breaking off regrets. You're breaking off condemnation. You're breaking off expectations. I saw a heavenly army that's breaking off expectations over your life. You've lived under the sword of expectations. You've allowed them to cut you left and right, but the expectations are being broken off of your life. The only expectation God has for you is for you to look into his eyes and to realize how much he loves you. So we break off every expectation over your life. We break off all of the hurt. We break off the regret. We break off the things that have hurt you. We break off the words that have been spoken on your life, the curses over your life. And we say, this is the moment in time once and for all that you will live in the promise. You will live in the land uh, where his grace is enough. You will live beyond uh, anything you ever imagined in Jesus name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, tonight. Come on, if that's a word for you, you can receive it too. You can receive it too. Let's look at this in the mirror, even though we don't even need to. It's good stuff. What time is it? 8.17. So I got about, what about 80, 83 minutes left. Okay. The new guy in the back was like, I'm peacing out. I'm texting, texting the driver, come pick me up. All right. Faith gave substance to hope when everything seemed hopeless. The words, so shall your seed be conceived in him, the faith of fatherhood. It was the word. It was him believing it wasn't what his body was able to do or accomplish. Verse 19. Oh, I slipped that in there. Abraham's faith would have been nullified if he were to take into his own, into his count, his own age and the deadness of Sarah's womb. His hundred year old body and Sarah's barren womb did not distract him in the least. He finally knew that no contribution from their side could possibly assist God in fulfilling his promise. Come on. This will set you free. This will set you free. This will set you free. Do you know what our contribution looks like in the grand scheme of things? When God decides to make a promise and fulfill it over your life, you want to know what it looks like? It's like, um, it's like trying to, to take all the sand from Siesta Key Beach and move it out to Lakewood Ranch, but, you, but you're given a teaspoon. You work your whole life, and at the end of it, you might have a pile this big. And God's like, why would we waste the toil of our lives? Why would we waste everything that God has put in front of us to do? Give that up because we want to try to assist God in doing something he promised to do. Instead of living in the promise of what he said he would do and allowing him to do it and stepping into that and living that out. I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing some great miracles. I, I'll tell you the story, and maybe she's watching tonight. Um, do you remember a couple months back, I, I told on myself, and I told you that I went and got a facial? Yeah. Remember that? It's been months. Do you remember that? Well, it was a joke, okay? It wasn't, you're right, it wasn't a joke. <laughs> I went and got a facial a while ago. Well, um, I went and got another one today. <laughs> But it's been since June, so I'm doing good, right? She wants to see me every three to four weeks. I told her no, okay? So I'm doing good. I went and got a facial today. Anyways, this girl, um, when she went to 
whatever they do, they just, I don't know why they get, they just keep smearing stuff on your face. I'm not quite sure why this, you pay for this, but just smear, 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 wipe it off, smear some more, wipe it off. That one burns, that one's cool, that one's hot, smear. And then they charge you money and send you out the door. And I was like, I look exactly the way I did when I walked in here. So I don't know what happened, but anyways. Um, so this girl, God gave me a word for her about her life and, um, and, and, it was amazing because um, it was really specific, and the Lord, the Lord basically showed me. I, I told you in service, the Lord basically showed me um, that um, it was He was giving her permission to start taking care of herself, and that the the weight of what she felt and responsibility for others was crushing her, and that it was time to allow her. God was giving her permission to take care of herself and to allow herself off the hook for who she feels responsible for. And I said, I don't know if it's a family member. I feel like it's a, a paternal family member um, that you've been taking care of and blah, 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 blah. And God gives you this word. So she starts crying and, and, and you know, so she pauses the smearing process and, and she says to me, she says, I can't believe you're saying this to me. She says, I lived in Naples. I was taking care of my, I believe it was her dad who is disabled. Um, and she had no life. She was still not married. She couldn't have a boyfriend. She couldn't even start that process and move on with her life because she felt responsible for him. And he has a wife, and she, but she just felt responsible. And when she left there, her parents tried to tell her that, um, that she was a bad daughter for wanting to move on with her life and made her feel guilty. And so she finds herself in Sarasota feeling the guilt of leaving her parent. And God sends me there to say, you've been released from heaven to start taking care of yourself and to not worry about what you feel like has been your responsibility. I mean, it was this amazing message and word. So today I go and I see her today. And before I get there, she starts, I'm walking down the hallway, she starts freaking out when she sees me. She says, you're never going to believe this. I haven't seen you since June. I looked it up and I said, I know, I'm sorry. And um, she says, I haven't seen you since June. And she said, just yesterday, um, God brought you to my mind. And every time I've ever seen you, you've had a word from heaven for me. And she said, I want to ask you, you know, when you prophesied over me, it was my, my, my boyfriend, or she didn't say prophesied, when you prayed over me, you know, I had this boyfriend, since then we've gotten engaged. And she said, I would like to know if you'll marry us. Aww. Come on. And she's lost like 36 pounds since that word over her life. When I told her it's time to start taking care of herself. And so she asked me to marry her, and we exchanged numbers. Um, and in March, I think it's March 3rd, I'll be marrying her. And it all started because in a moment where she was smearing something on my face, <laughs> the Lord used... The boys aren't supposed to get facials, okay? At least that's what I've been told. In the most awkward moment, the Lord used this moron. Come on. If we all were honest with each other, we're, we're, we're all a bunch of morons, Okay. At least us men are, right? Thank you. This moron in a moment that said yes, that believed that despite my shortcomings, my failures, and the failure of the fact that I was getting a facial, which is a huge failure, in that moment I said yes to God, and it totally transformed her life, and it's transformed the course of her life, where she has been released to actually move on, to get married, to have a life, have children, take care of her body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because of that one word. What's the difference? Is it because I'm a pastor? No. 
I'm an idiot. Come on. I will never stand up here and make you think that I'm great. Because I'm not. I serve a great God. And I don't always get it right, but every once in a while, I actually listen to what I preach. And I actually say yes. And in that moment, God radically uses me. What would it look like if we all did the same thing? Where we allowed God to radically use our lives. Not because we're perfect, not because we're the perfect candidate for it. But in this moment of time, we actually, like Abraham, took an account of ourselves and realized, wow, that promise, that thing that God's called me to do, I can't do this on my own. Yet I still believe that he will do it and perform it in my life. What would this look like if we did that? I'm going to read verse 20 to you. And then we'll finish. Uh, it's not everything. Well, can you all hang with me just like five more minutes? It'll be 830. That's, that's not bad. While he had every reason to doubt the promise, he did not hesitate for a moment. But instead, empowered by faith confidence, he continued to communicate God's opinion. What if we woke up every morning and continued to communicate God's opinion over our life? An opinion that was empowered by faith. Not an opinion that was empowered by our own performance, our own ability, our pedigree, our ministerial credentials. But a faith that was empowered, an opinion that was empowered by faith in what he says about us. I want to read verse 25 to you because then we'll be done Romans 4 and we can finally move on to Romans 5. Last verse of Romans 4. Yay! He who was delivered over because of, oops. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. This is basically everything I've been preaching in a nutshell. I want you to see this. It says, here is the equation. He was handed over because of humanity's fallen condition and he was raised because we were declared righteous. His resurrection is the official receipt to our acquittal. (laughs) Check this out. His cross is our sins and his resurrection is our innocence. I love this when I go back here. Just as sure, the word because, I put it in red there, is the same Greek word. It's important to understand that. Because what it's saying here, by using the same word, is it means just as sure as he was handed over because of humanity's fallen condition, it's just as sure that we were declared righteous. Before he was raised. If you remember my message on declared righteous, I said the picture that God gave me was this. The Bible actually says that we were declared righteous and then he was raised from the dead. Which means that when he went down and stole the keys to death, hell, and the grave, God screamed from the balconies of heaven, righteous over humanity. And in that moment, the ground began to shake, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus was raised from the dead. So his resurrection didn't unlock your righteousness. As a matter of fact, it became the receipt of your righteousness. Woo! 
His death brought closure to our fallen condition. His resurrection is proof of our redeemed righteousness. And I want you to see this. If mankind was still guilty after Jesus died, then his resurrection would be irrelevant. You're no longer guilty. You're no longer slave to sin, mistake. You're no longer bound by those things. You have not breached a contract with your life. He's waiting for you to believe that he's paid it all. And he's waiting for you to finally say yes. And in that moment, when you finally say yes, when you finally say, I believe, it's the great equalizer. It gives you the same access to the same power, the same favor, the same righteousness, the same justification, the same everything that I've been preaching about as anyone else. Through faith, faith sponsors it. Can you believe that tonight for your life? Can you knock off all of the stuff that's on your shoulders, that's whispering in your ear that you're not qualified, you're not capable, you're not good enough, and finally believe once and for all that what he said he's done, he's done. And you can live in the promise fulfilled. Someone needs to hear this tonight as I close. Stop allowing your mind to hold you back and start believing like Abraham that even though I look at myself and realize there's no way I can do this, I still will believe, I will hope against hope and believe because what he said he would do and promised he will do in my life. So I release this word over you tonight that you would leave here empowered with the opinion of faith. Not with the opinion of others, or the opinion of your own mind or the opinion of your own account of yourself or your ability, but you would be empowered by the opinion of faith and allow that to sponsor the gift of grace in your life. Amen.